0: Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest on the podcast is the lovely Michelle Whitehead, who is a lawyer joining us to talk all about the legal side of our business. So this is a little bit of a different podcast episode today, but one I think is going to be so valuable. I've heard Michelle speak and I've actually purchased some of her DIY legal packs to help me with all my legal needs because I had no clue before I came across Michelle and started learning about this side of business. So I'm really looking forward to being able to share her wisdom today and dive into the side of all the legals. So thank you so much for joining
1: me today, Michelle asking me it's so wonderful to be here I always love opportunities to talk about this stuff and and spread the message that your legals don't have to be scary they can be fun and they're actually the ultimate in self-care for your business
0: yes so true I love the way you talk about legals as well and that will come through in this interview as well no doubt um but yeah I think you just offer such a great perspective and it's so good to be simplifying it and not scaring people off because it can be a very Mm -hmm. overwhelming thing but the way you talk about about it and the way you refer to it as self-care it is another aspect of self-care in your business and yeah, yeah I love that
1: <laughs> yeah well the the biggest thing about legal your legals foundations is that they help you set the boundaries you need yeah so that you can care for your clients and be of service without being a slave to your business yeah and that's the biggest thing I found helping healers and um, alternative health service providers and nutritionists and naturopaths and all of you wonderful, beautiful people who are out there giving your all in service to your lovely clients is that you don't have to be a slave. You don't have to negate self-care, and mm-hmm. and that you can have beautiful boundaries that look after both you and your clients. Yeah, amen to that. Your legals are a perfect place to put them. Yeah.
0: That is so true. And so you mentioned you do work with a lot of natural health practitioners, coaches and healers. How did you get into working with us as your niche?
1: Ah, well, when I um, started as a lawyer, I was in a small, um, small town country, small country town law firm. Yep. And, um, the the principal of the firm was into family law and criminal law. And there's one other solicitor who also did family law and criminal law. And I basically took on everything else, which was all the business law, basically. Yeah. And all of the contracts and all of the stuff that nobody else wanted to play with. Yeah. And I was there for eight years and I got incredibly disheartened because it was all very adversarial. It was very, um, a lot of court work and, and litigious and arguments and all of that sort of stuff. And, I went back to uni and I got my honors in um, majoring in alternative dispute resolution I was ready to quit law I was going to become a mediator, wow. and just be a channel of peace and tell everyone <laughs> stop fighting talk to each other, you know you can make this work. Yeah. Um, And so I realized that I didn't actually know how to market a mediation business and I had no clients and there was just me and my computer. And it was like, this is really, really, really scary. And so I went to Facebook and I started to learn about marketing in lots and lots of beautiful, feministic, holistic, caring Facebook groups, business groups. And while I was there, I started discovering that there were all these wonderful women just like me who loved their clients and who cared for for people and they wanted to be compassionate and generous in their work, but they didn't have the foundations they needed to keep themselves safe. Yeah And I started I got to the point where I forgave myself for becoming a lawyer and selling out the the loving hippie kind of self of me and said, actually I can recreate myself and become the lawyer. That I want to be, and that these people need. Yes. And from there, it just evolved. It, it allowed me, it gave me the freedom to actually talk about law in the way I wanted to talk about, to deconstruct the traditional legal um, constructs like contracts and things like that, and take them out of a space of fear and avoidance of liability. yeah You know, covering your ass and protection, and, and everything's scary, and it's all going to, you know, the nuclear bomb's going to come off if you don't have anything right. Yeah. And actually take it into a space of love and connection and caring, and say, "Look, the the principles stay the same, mm-hmm. but the, when you change the approach, it the whole the whole thing changes." Yeah. And so I got really um, fascinated about doing that, and just doing that seemed to attract all of the healers and the coaches and the 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 loving, friendly, beautiful people started to find me. So. Yeah.
0: How it happened. That's fantastic and I love that you did get to combine those parts of yourself rather than having to leave as you originally thought you may have had to yeah. Um, and yeah you were able to be your authentic true self and serve people like-minded yeah. people that are yeah wanting this kind of valuable help from you so that's really cool how you had that evolution and
1: are where you are today. Yeah and ever since then I've just it's just been a case of identifying what what do we What do we need, and how can we make it happen in a way that's that fits with our values, yeah. while still getting in with the the principle, the legal principles, and all of the knowledge I've got from from those years of study and work in that that industry.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So when it does come to simplifying it, where should we start? So a lot of the listeners here will be either nutrition students or graduates who are either starting their own business. Um, Many people are going off and finding their career as well and finding work in a job. So less of the legal side there, but let's focus more on that business law. And if someone is graduating and they want to start up their own nutrition business or naturopathy business, what are some of the things they'll need in those initial phases? And how do you know when it is time to start start yep. putting those legal things
1: together perfect question okay so the first thing that they're going to need is they're going to need to register their business name and get their abn stuff in place yeah um if they're going to invest in branding or work use a business name that's not their own mm-hmm. they need to do, do they really need to do due diligence yep. around the ownership of that business name and, and make sure that it's safe for them to use yeah um And they need to put some thought into choosing a business name that's not generic and descriptive Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because a generic and descriptive business name can be like, you know, blue star (laughs) nutritionist or whatever, you know, healthy nutrition, Um, a name that everyone is going to want to use or that every other nutritionist is going to think is cool is actually more likely to make you a needle in a haystack. Mm, interesting. And it's going to make you harder to find. It's going to make you have to work harder yep. to get your presence out there and to get really recognisable marketing for your business. Yeah. Um, and you also run into the risk that someone else has already got an established business using that name and that you're going to be trespassing on their trademark in that name. Yeah, interesting. So from... Yeah, um, to, to, to do some research into what makes a good business name. And I've got blogs and webinars on all of that sort of stuff that people are welcome to check out. Fantastic. And just put some thought into choosing the name yep. um, before you spend thousands of dollars on your branding or whatever else yeah, to have a due diligence consultation with someone so you do all the searches and make sure it's safe yep. for you to use and that it's a good name to pin your business on. That's the first step. Yeah. The next thing is when you get your website set up which is usually the first point of call for most people. Yeah. On your website, you're going to need your website terms and conditions and your privacy policy. Yeah. Those two are your, your main um, requirements because the website terms and conditions are required under Australian Consumer Law if you have any kind of offering for sale on your website, and that includes a booking link. Yeah. Um, and your privacy policy is required under the Australian Privacy Principles, if you are in the health and wellness industry. yeah. So um, you're going to need both of those things. Fantastic. And then that's pretty much it for a startup. Amazing. From that, from your website, Terms and Conditions, if you've used my DIY pack, then um, you'll have covered all of your basic business boundaries like your um, disclaimers and your booking um appointment type policies. So rescheduling all of those kinds of policies, yep. um, your payment terms, your refund policies, all of those things will have been covered in your website terms and conditions. Perfect. And you can, if you need to, you can just break out a little terms of service and add that to your intake form so that you're making sure your clients are aware of those boundaries and how to get the most out of working with you. Fantastic. Then the next step becomes your client service agreement, which is the contract between you and your client. So your website terms and conditions are more like a billboard advertising your policies to anyone who comes across your website. Yeah. Whereas your contract is an actual agreement between you and your client. And it like sets the the container that holds the space for you to do your best work and to build the relationship you want to have with your client inside that container. Yeah. Um, whether you need a contract depends on three factors. Mm-hmm. The first is the amount of time and money that people are investing with you. Yep. The higher priced the service is, the bigger the package, the longer you want the relationship to last, the more important it is to put to, to really manage those expectations. Yeah, to be really clear about what they're getting for their money, because. If they're paying you more, it's harder to give them their money back and let them, and tell them to go away. Like, and it's, and they're likely to be more invested in the outcome. Mm. So if it's if it's a one-off consultation and it's, you know, 200 bucks, it's not that big a deal. Like they're just going to write it off or you're going to say, here's your money back. I'm sorry you weren't happy. Go away. Yeah. If it's a $2,000 payment and it's a six-month um, package yeah. of working together, then it's really, really painful when it starts to go wrong. Yeah. And they're really going to care, care and it's going to dig in, and there's much more opportunity for conflict. So, the more the invest, the higher the investment, the more important it is to have those boundaries clear. Yep. Second factor is the degree of risk involved. Mm-hmm. So, the more chance, the more vulnerable the client is. Yeah. And the more chance there is that they could take your advice and run with it in the wrong direction or suffer (laughs) some kind of loss or harm or damage from working with you, whether that's because they didn't follow your instructions or because they did and something went wrong, the higher the risk level, the more important it is to put really clear boundaries around this is the scope of my duty of care and where my responsibility lies in looking after you and this is all the information you need to know so you can make appropriately informed decisions give proper consent and take proper care for your own health, safety and well-being. Yeah. So you're really managing that risk by communicating um, all of the things that they need to know so that they can actually work with you safely. Yep. And then the third factor is how comfortable you are. So, I've met practitioners who've been out there flying naked for 30 years with no legals. Yeah. Perfectly say say it's flying naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, flying naked, out there flying naked. And then at the other end of the scale, I've met plenty of practitioners who aren't prepared to bring their first client in the door unless they're wearing a full suit of armour. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being at either end of that scale. But if you're out there flying naked and you're feeling exposed and vulnerable, yeah. then you are not going to promote your business to its full potential. Yes. Your subconscious is going to scream at you that you need to stay small so that you can stay safe. Yes. So. And so you're going to be constantly finding ways not to do the work that you're here to do. Yeah. Whereas if you can put your legals in place, if you can give yourself that contract that makes you feel confident and safe and caring for your clients and caring for yourself, Mm -hmm. then that little bit of armour is going to give you that increased ability to actually be present in your business and do what you're here to do. Yeah. So Yeah. All three of those factors are like a sliding scale. The, the more you are towards the high end, the more important it is that you get a really good contract in place so that you can know that you're protected and you're doing the right, the you're doing the best by your clients
0: yeah absolutely and lucky for us we have you making it easy for us because (laughs) yeah it can be overwhelming and your DIY packs which you did mention in there um they're just so valuable to be able to have that resource and go through so that we can do ourselves do it ourselves knowing that we're doing it the correct way and not just making it
1: up (laughs) yeah so my DIY packs they're not when you look at sort of um DIY legals, they're quite often just like if you fill in the blanks and, and spit out this generic legalistic jargon that you can't understand and it's just <laughs> and no one tacked on and it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> My DIY packs aren't like that. I want you to take ownership of your legals. So what I do is I ask you all the questions that I would ask if I was writing the document for you, and I encourage you to answer them in the same language you use when you're talking to your clients, the same language you use for your marketing. And to really step in and be that face, that person of authority in your business that says, these are my boundaries, this is how this works. Yeah. And you can totally do that in a way that is connected and caring, and that to write the kinds of documents that you know what every word in it is doing there what its purpose is how it's protecting you how it's protecting your clients So if anybody ever asks you a question about it it's easy for you to explain yeah and as your business evolves and grows because our businesses always evolve and grow yeah as it evolves and grows you can easily go back and evolve and grow your legals to match it yeah. so you don't have to think oh I can't go back because I've got to go, I don't. I can't afford a lawyer this week and so it's just going to go in the important but not urgent list and never get done. <laughs> yeah. Whereas it's no, it's like it's easy. You just go in and you update it and check yeah. in with it instead of thinking that it's set in stone and it can't ever be changed. Mm, yeah, that's fantastic. It always stays updated and serving you and in, in line with your evolving values and vision for your business.
0: Yeah makes so much sense and your business model is actually quite I find it quite inspiring and I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about that because you do have your DIY packages then you also have add-ons and you have VIP services so do you want to talk a little bit about your business structure because I think while yours applies to law it can definitely be applied to anyone who has a nutrition or natural health business as well um, just with different offerings. Yeah
1: yeah so I'm a one-woman law firm and if it if I was drafting the documents for everybody, I would not be able to help anywhere near enough people. Yeah. So that's where the DIY packs were born. It was like, mm-hmm. how can I give people the power to do this by themselves, but still make them feel supported? Yes. So for example, I didn't like the feeling that I was abandoning people with the DIY packs. So with every DIY pack, I brought in the concept of an accountability action session, which is a one hour free group call that you can sign up for that you get with that comes with the diy pack so you can pick my brain ask me questions get support um so that's your your base level and then everyone's got a different scale of time versus money in their budget yeah so the next level up you know there's optional upgrades so you can complete your diy pack take it away you're done that's all good. I'm happy for you. Well done. Yeah. You can send me your first draft and have me edit, proofread and review it for you, yeah. which is the DIY plus review upgrade. There's a done for you upgrade where you just fill out the worksheet and I write the document for you. Yeah. And there's the VIP upgrade, which is where you say, Michelle, this is too overwhelming. I don't have time for any of this. And we get on a call and I ask all the questions and do everything for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there's those levels within the DIY packs. I also have um, consultations that you can book in. There's a range of different consultations and, you know, anyone can get an hour with me for $385 whenever they want. Just, yep. you know, just book in and, and pay. So that's like uh, intellectual property strategy sessions, advice on contracts, conflict resolution, Um due diligence consultations they're all just the same one hour for a set price so there's a, a wide range of things there mm-hmm. um, then i've got my castle quest which is my big signature program which runs once a year and that's a 12 week risk management course where we dive deep into basically taking all the print, the traditional principles of risk management yep. and bringing them into an imaginative connected caring loving um environment where we talk about castles and dragons <laughs> and make it all non-scary but at the yeah. same time as we're actually practically managing what are the things that scare us in our business where are the holes where are the risks where are the things on that important but not urgent list that never get done yeah. and we take action on all of those and, and get our business as safe and as secure as we possibly can yeah and then there's um the serenity connective which is my membership And that's basically has monthly, it's an ongoing membership um, and we have monthly missions with daily prompts and we have a a briefing each, a mission briefing, which is a a recorded um, investigation of a topic and they're all topics that are important for businesses like um, boundaries and... um, reputation and saying sorry where are we apologizing for and how are we apologizing effectively and where are we apologizing for things we don't actually need to apologize for Mm. um reflective practice what best practice means to us communication and conflict all of those kind of issues we unpack one a month and then we come back each year and circle around and go through them again yeah so that's an interesting membership and that's probably the the cheapest way to have constant access to me too because you can um choose the the private mentoring option with that yeah. and with that you get four hours that you can just book in with me anytime you want in 15 30 or one hour increments and just book when you want it and yeah. when you need to talk to me i'm in your pocket Amazing. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's sort of um and yeah and i've got to the stage now with all of those things that i don't feel the need to keep creating and finding new ways to work with people because i've got A suite of things that just fit together.
0: And yeah, they all Yeah, it's a brilliant example of like having all those different offerings and the one-on-one and one-to-many, and you're really utilizing your time more efficiently. As you mentioned at the start there, you said um, you're one person, so you can't help everyone one-on-one all the time. So having those one-to-many offerings is really allowing you to scale your business and scale your income. Um, and, yeah, I, like I said, I think it's very inspiring and something that we can all have similar business strategies to what you're doing, um, and it's a great way for us to be inspired to help more people through the same amount of work. So I love it. I
1: think that's yeah. <laughs> I think it, yeah. It's, it's getting creative and getting outside the, the fear of what what don't I know and actually yeah. reinventing what you do know in a way that fits with your unique personality. Yeah because you know any lawyer could teach risk management but I'm the only one who's doing it with castles and dragons it just fits with me and how I like to talk about things and how I like to do things and be in my business yeah Yeah. I think it's 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 that finding that sweet spot between the knowledge that you've learned and all of your experience and everything that's different about you that you bring and then the way that you can connect with your clients in a way that is uniquely and especially you.
0: Yeah, because that's what draws people to you, your personality. Like I've heard before, people aren't buying what you're offering, they're buying into you. Um, And obviously they're buying into you when you can help them with something, but what's going to make them choose you over someone else is that personality and the way you present the information and the way that you help people. So I think it is so important to really honour that and really be authentic to who you are. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Cool. Well, we have touched over the basics of law and legals. What about if someone is offering um, so one-on-one consultations, what are the sort of contracts they'll need there? Or as opposed to if they're offering more freelance services, things like recipe development or meal planning um, to other companies, like does it
1: differ offering to offering in terms of the different contracts and legals we need? When you're working one-to-one, you're mainly looking at your basic client service agreement or the, the healer agreement in the DIY packs been specifically developed for, the, um, for alternative healthcare providers. Yeah. It is mainly your client service kind of agreement that you need when you're working one-to-one. When you're working with a larger body like a company, it's more difficult in most cases. It, it depends on whether you are a singular consultant bringing your thing to them Mm -hmm. in which case you're quite you would need similarly a client service agreement because it's still one-to-one but if you're like one of a number of different consultants that they bring on board who are all doing similar things then it's more likely that they are going to have their own contract their set pro forma thing Mm -hmm. that they want you to agree to and in that case it's more important that you get legal advice on what's in that contract because it yeah. can quite often be incomprehensible legalistic jargon that you can't understand and, and so you can sign it just thinking oh this is an awesome opportunity i can't wait to do this sign 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 yeah. um without understanding what you're actually signing and then you know five ten years down the track you're you're saying to me but 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 they've <laughs> just they've just laid me off and i'm not you know they've they don't want me anymore, and they're they're keeping everything I've ever created, and it's not fair. It's like, well, it's a little too late now. Yeah. Try and get out of something you signed. Sorry. Yeah. No. Whereas if you read it, if you, you can actually get, it's it's a good idea. If there are things in the contract that aren't ideal for you, mm-hmm. even if it's a pro forma contract, getting the advice allows you to assess whether those things are deal breakers for you. Yeah. and whether it would actually be better for you to just walk away and look for somewhere else. Yeah. Or whether those are things that the other person's probably not going to care about all that much and you might be able to negotiate better terms that fit better with how you want to work and what's important to you.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I like that approach. And, yeah, it is so important to have that advice um, rather than going in blind and dealing with it yeah. later when you can't really change anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a good tip, something good to know up front. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and we spoke a little bit about naming of businesses. What is the difference of simply purchasing the business name as opposed to trademarking it? And when do you think it's important to take that extra step
1: and trademark a name? Okay, so when you register your business name, that doesn't give you any ownership rights. What it does is it protects consumers. Because okay. it links that name with your ABN and the consumers, the general public have the right to believe that an ABN represents a real person or a real company. Yeah. Someone who is registered with the the government that, that can be found. Yeah. Otherwise we could all just be doing business under whatever name we want. <laughs> we could run up debts, you know, and then we could just let that name go and choose another name and start <laughs> up again, which is what the Phoenix companies used to do. And that was a really big problem. Oh, no. <laughs> um you know, that that you would have you would owe lots of money in your business, you just let that name go bankrupt or just let that name go and start up a new business. So now everything has to be tied into an ABN. Yeah. So that business name registration doesn't actually give you any exclusivity. Mm, interesting as you use your name over time you start to build up a reputation in the marketplace yeah people associate that name with your services Mm -hmm. and that reputation as your business grows it becomes something that you might want to protect yeah now if you are you've done your due diligence, you know there's no one else using that name, you've spent the time and you've built up the reputation, and you want to put people on notice that you claim ownership of the name, mm-hmm. you can it it's an unregistered trademark. You can use the little TM, a yep. little superscript TM. You yep. can put that on your name whenever you like without any um additional regulatory requirements Oh wow! that just puts people on notice that you claim the right to it as an unregistered trademark you don't want to do that unless you're certain that it's safe to yeah and you've done your due diligence you know it's okay but then yeah you put the tm up and you start your you know you you keep your vigilance around making sure that no one else jumps in using it yeah um because if someone else starts using it it's better to notice quickly Mm -hmm. and contact them quickly and say hey Um, this is my name because the more the longer you leave it the more reputation they start to build the more positional they get the more attached they get to that name so Mm -hmm. it's really important to to keep your little searches running over time yeah even just a little um automatic google search that reports in you know keyword searches and things like that yeah um and then the, the problem with that is that unregistered trademarks can be difficult to enforce.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if someone else gets really wants to, to really push it, then you kind of have to go to court and prove a whole lot of stuff to establish your ownership of the name. Yeah. The other thing you can do is invest in registering it as a trademark, Mm -hmm. which is a long term process. It takes seven and a half months to do. It can cost between a thousand and two thousand dollars. Wow. But once it's registered, once you've got through the process and it's listed on the register, Mm -hmm. you have exclusive ownership of that name in the country where it's registered. Yeah. And over the goods and services, the classes, the categories of goods and services that you've registered it in. Okay, yeah. So basically every kind of product or service you can imagine in the world has been lumped into 45 different classes. Wow. <laughs> and when you register a trademark, you choose the classes that are most appropriate to you and then you narrow it down to a pick list yep. of the actual things you, you you do within that class, but you're protected for the whole class. Mm, cool. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then you still have to be vigilant Mm -hmm. because IP Australia doesn't go out and protect it for you. But the thing is, because it's your registered trademark, when you see someone using it, you just cease and desist. That's my trademark. I own it. Stop. And they have to stop or there are um, severe problems. And what you actually do then is once it's registered, you can use the R in the circle. Yeah. So next time you're in the supermarket, start looking at all the brand names and you'll see some have TMs and some have Rs in a circle. The Rs in a circle are actually registered trademarks that exist on the trademark database. Yep. And the TMs are people claiming, hey, I've got an unregistered, I've got a reputation in this name and I'm protecting it as an unregistered trademark or I'm claiming it
0: yeah. as an unregistered trademark. That is so interesting. What about for the people who are self branded? So just say I was using my name, Shana Sapi. Yep.
1: Can you register your own name? Do you need to register your own name or is it more? You can, but you wouldn't generally do it unless you're someone like Kylie Minogue or Ringo Starr. Like you need to be pretty big yeah, before you consider registering your name. Yeah. <laughs> um, what you can think about, even when you're doing business under your own name, is that you can start to think about what other names you use mm-hmm. that should be, protected as trademarks and yep. when that becomes necessary. So, for example, I trade under my own name. Yep. Um, but it's getting to the stage where I'm starting to think, eh, contracts that care should be a trademark. I should yeah. protect that one. Yeah. Because it's something that other lawyers might want to use, but it's something that I have, a. it's a word, I, a, a phrase that I have a reputation in. Yeah. Then you get into the distinction between copyright and trademarks. Yep. Um, which is something else we could talk about if you wanted to, but trademarks, you can't, there's no copyright in words words and phrases. So if it's a catchphrase or a product name or something that's really, really important to your business Mm -hmm. and that you would be really, really offended if someone else started to use, and it's something that no other person in your industry is likely to want to use on a regular basis. Okay, yep. I like excellent contracts, there's no way I could trademark that. <laughs> Whereas contracts that care is just quirky enough, yeah, and just unique enough that it could be trademarkable. Whereas Castle Quest for risk management, that's eminently trademarkable because there's nobody else in my field who's going to do anything in that area, yeah. But if I wanted to, t- if I wanted to make it or if it looked like it was going to go huge, mm-hmm. then um, trademarking it would be a definite um, thing for me to be have on my radar.
0: Yeah, okay. So like if you had an online course or like I suppose Castle Quest is an online course, but
1: for anyone else who yeah. might have an online yeah. course or a membership, they can... Yeah, if I was actually putting the effort in to launch Castle Quest each year and yeah. I was starting to get a, a big um, a big alumni of yeah. Castle Quest participants and it was starting to... Be the sort of thing that would appear regularly in a lot of different places and you know google searches and things like that it would be it was growing and huge yeah then i would definitely be registering it
0: yeah um, okay very interesting And you mentioned also copyright in there, which is actually a really good thing. I would love to briefly
1: discuss um, what is your advice around the copyright side of things? Okay. So in Australia, we are very lucky because copyright exists automatically the minute that we create something. Oh, wow. It exists in literary works, Mm -hmm. dramatic works and graphic works among other things but those are the main ones we come across so literary works covers things like your facebook marketing posts Mm -hmm. your blog posts your website copy um your ebooks anything that you write that is a significant chunk of writing um is protected by copyright so no one else can actually copy it um without plagiarizing you yeah Same goes for um, dramatic works, cover things like your videos and your podcasts. Mm -hmm. And um, graphic works covers the photographs and images that you use. Cool, yeah. So you, the first thing to remember is that you own those things. They're your intellectual property assets. Yeah, fantastic. Um, It's really important that you... Claim ownership of them by, um, you know, putting people on notice. So watermarking your images, using your consistent branding, making it really hard for people to just borrow it without attribution. <laughs> yeah. Um, so put st- put your stamp on it somehow and do that consistently because that also increases your brand identity, which increases your reputation, which increases your trademark ability, the tra- your trademark presence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, you also have to be aware that other people have copyright as well. Yeah. So while it's perfectly acceptable, there's no copyright in ideas. Mm. So if you're getting inspired by something that someone else is saying in a similar field, it's perfectly okay for you to reformulate that, put your own spin on it, express it in your own words and your own way and talk about the same thing. that's fine but if you actually take what they've said and use it in your own in the context of your business yeah without um seeking their permission Mm -hmm. then you're infringing their copyright yeah
0: um the
1: biggest problem that comes up for small business for young businesses is um images
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and where you're sourcing the images for your marketing posts um Either take the photographs yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone else is taking the photos for you, get make sure you've got an assignment of copyright so that you know you're safe to use them for however you want to use them. Yeah. Or use one of the copyright royalty-free, safe for commercial use sites like uh, Pixabay. Um, things like, yeah, there's a yeah. couple of others, but I can't think of them off the top of my head because Pixabay is the one I use. <laughs> um, but there are quite a few. Or, or you've bought... Yeah, or you've or where you've bought the license so f- from one of the stock photo suppliers. Yeah. But yeah, do not do not grab someone's really pretty image of Pinterest or Google search yeah. and stick it on your blog or your Facebook feed because I have many nightmare stories I could tell you about the consequences <laughs> of doing that. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> and if, if you have a VA out there sourcing images for you, yeah. make sure they fully understand those rules as well. Okay, yeah. Get them, you know, these are the acceptable places you can source images from and do not get them from anywhere else. Yeah. There's um yeah, there's horror stories around that as well. I can imagine <laughs> you still <you're> it's <laughs> if it's your blog or your Facebook feed, then you the buck stops there, stops with you. Yeah. It's your responsibility, even if someone else found the images for you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned we're automatically covered by copyright, but if we're releasing something like an ebook or something that is sort of like that printable resource or that they get a copy of, as opposed to just something that's on our website or um, Facebook, Instagram, do you need to write anywhere
1: in that document that it's a copyrighted document? Or because I do still It's a see- good idea yeah. because it puts people on notice. Yeah. Um the simplest way to do it is, and you should have this on in the footer of your website mm-hmm. and on any downloadable document you produce and that's a a c in a circle the copyright symbol yeah and then the year Mm -hmm. that it was created and if it was if it's like a a website and it's created over a range of years then the date range so like 1988 to 2021 yeah um and then your name yeah and then that's it's a, notific- it's a copyright notification statement and it just puts people on, on notice that, you know, this is something that you can't just take and do what you like with. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, for anyone internationally, there are other countries have different rules. So in America, for example, copyright exists automatically, but it has to be registered before you can enforce it in a court yeah so there's they've got a whole system where you actually have to register your copyright and Mm -hmm. luckily for us we have the Bern convention which is a treaty um which says that the laws that apply in your home country also apply in whatever treaty convention countries so for example for us because copyright exists automatically and doesn't need to be registered we can technically um defend our copyright in countries like the US and the UK and similar because of that convention treaty Mm -hmm. Um, yeah good to know but if you're actually doing something like publishing a book internationally then it's a good idea to actually know what the copyright laws are in that country and register it just to make sure
0: yeah, that makes sense. Awesome, and you've given us a great, easy, practical tip for those of us who do have websites. Go check. We've got that little yeah.
1: copyright disclaimer yeah, down the bottom. Yeah, put your little copyright symbol down the bottom yeah. and just put <laughs> people on their notice. Yeah, and that makes it much easier that um, if you do have to um, defend it, you can say they can't say, "Oh, I didn't know," because like, look, the notices, the notification is there.
0: Yeah. Amazing um cool so we've covered some really good stuff there trademarks copyright business names terms and conditions privacy policies is there anything else that you think we really need to talk about before we do fully wrap up um
1: understanding your responsibilities under consumer law yeah is a pretty big one yeah um knowing that you can't just say no refunds mm-hmm. you can say no refund for a change of mind yeah okay and you you don't have to, so if someone buys a product from you and it's just that they don't want it, they want something else or they've booked an appointment and then they've changed their mind about having that appointment, yeah. Um, you don't actually have to give them a refund. But it's really important when you're thinking about your refund policy to think about who you are as a practitioner and what kind of relationship you want to have with your clients. Yeah. It's no saying no refund for change of mind. If you're the sort of person who's going to say, oh, look, I'm sorry, look, here's your money back, here's everything else back, you've got to have a, a policy that feels right and fair to both you and to your clients. Yeah, so, true. so And that can be different from, from place to place. So, for example, with my DIY packs, there's a, a seven-day change of mind because that gives you enough time to download it, look at it, make sure it's what you need. Yep. If you decide you don't want it, then I'll say, right, here's your money back, delete it, we'll reset the bar. Yep. Whereas if you've had it for two months and you've never done anything with it and then you say, oh, but it's not what I wanted, then that's kind of your problem, yeah. not mine. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it needs to feel f- fair to both of you. Yeah. Um, With my consultations and with my um, VIP drafting, I don't invoice until the end when the person is 100% satisfied. Like and I check in with them. Are you happy? Did we cover everything you needed? Yeah. Are, are we done? And then I invoice because that way I can guarantee 100% satisfaction, which is important. Yeah. You know, people who um, take payment for consultations up front then have that question, okay, what's reasonable? If they cancel two weeks out, give them their money back. But if they cancel with like two hours before the consultation, well, you've kind of held that space in your calendar and that's not fair. So you might say no refunds. If there's, you know, you you've got to give me 24 hours notice if you're going to cancel. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no refunds or similar. So it's it's all about fairness in terms of change of mind. Mm-hmm. But the consumer guarantees say that whatever you provide has to be fit for its purpose. Yeah. And provided with due care skill due care and skill. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's those are the the kind of refund requests that you can't contract out of. Yeah. So if someone has said that they need to achieve a specific result and you've said, yeah, that's no problem, we can do that, Mm -hmm. and then you don't achieve that result, then you kind of have to give them their money back or pay for them to have the service delivered or, you know, you've booked in. And so consumer law distinguishes between minor problems and major problems. Yeah. A minor problem is one that can be fixed within a reasonable time. Mm -hmm. And if there's a minor problem so say you've booked a consult and your internet's out yeah so it's your responsibility to um contact the client or you've got the flu and you can't turn up at the clinic or whatever it's your responsibility to contact the client reschedule for a mutually acceptable time make sure that you're still providing the services and you fix that problem
0: yeah a
1: major problem is one that can't be fixed within a reasonable time so for example you know um you've got an illness that is just stop you know you're going to be in hospital for three months and you're not going to be able to do the the consultation or similar yeah then you either have to refund them or um provide pay for them to have the service provided by someone else yeah um or if there's if there's a significant difference between what they thought they were going to get Mm -hmm. or what they should reasonably have expected to get and what you provided yeah then you have to refund the difference between what they received and what they should have got okay so those kinds of things um they're covered under the fair trading laws there's lots of information online that you can find out about them but it's it's really important not to put your head in the sand yeah because ignorance of those things isn't an excuse as a business owner it's really important that you educate yourself around these are my actual obligations. Yeah. Because once you know what those actual obligations are, they stop being scary. Yeah, so true. Stop that- being something that I can just say, oh yeah, like that's not something I need to worry about because I'm best practice. I'm ticking those boxes. I I know yeah. what I'm doing, and I've got my policies, and I I stick to them.
0: And yeah. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. I, I
1: limit my my the likelihood of any conflict arising.
0: Yeah. And when it comes to making claims, is that something we should avoid so we don't get ourselves into any trouble? Like if we're claiming we can help cure this sore, like rather than use yeah. that kind ever, of wording.
1: Ever, 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 ever say the cure word. <laughs> yeah. That's a C it's a four-letter C word in yeah. legal terms. <laughs> no gozo. Um, yeah. Yeah, do not do not say you can cure anything, particularly not cancer or anything big. Uh-huh. Um, are there any other words
0: like that that we really should avoid, then? especially ones because we are in this field where we are helping people with health, we do want to be really careful what we are
1: claiming? Yeah. It's it's important to be accurate mm-hmm. and, and, A, to be really moderate and reasonable in what you're claiming. Yep. Um, so you can say, you know, these things, this may help with Yep. rather than this will fix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they help is better so yep. tone your language down yeah um, which can be a problem in some marketing terms but really um it's not if you just if you're honest yeah um be honest about the the risks because mm-hmm. and that's easy to do if you think about prioritizing your client's right to informed consent yeah you know they've got the right to know what could go wrong and how to deal with and and make a, a proper um, choice about whether they want to proceed. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, that's where your disclaimers and things come into in your website terms and conditions and in your privacy policy. But the thing, the the that real, you know, this is not medical advice. Um, yeah. It's not a substitute for counselling or therapy. Um, you know. it's consult your gp do your own research make a choice about whether it's right for you in your circumstances yeah. putting the onus back on the client to take full responsibility for their um health and well-being making the relationship one of collaboration yeah rather than placing yourself as the expert mm. who's going to to do this and being really really honest about results like Yep. Saying to people, I do not have a magic wand. I cannot fix you. What I can do is give you the tools and techniques and the information that may help you to improve your situation. Yeah. And then, and you also say, I can't guarantee any results because the results you achieve may be dependent on a wide range of factors beyond my knowledge and control.
0: Yeah.
1: And when you think about it, there's always going to be things that will affect, you know, whether they actually do what you tell them to do. Yeah. Um, whether they take the nasty tasting potion, yeah. <laughs> whether they um, you know, whether they actually eat the good foods without all of the cheap days. Yeah. Whether they um, their genetics, their relationships, their lifestyle, the amount of stress they're under. You can, you know, any one of you, I'm certain, could brainstorm instantly a list of 50 different things that could affect your Client's likelihood of achieving any promised results. Yeah. So being really clear and open about that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Weaving it into your marketing. Yeah. uh, at least in your FAQs. Yep. Making sure it's in your legals, your website terms and conditions, and your client service agreement, if you've got one. Making sure it's really clear there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, The best places, and even if you're just doing a little intake form. Um, having a little blurb on the intake form that says, you know, this is the stuff you really need to know. Yeah. And You know, that's, you know, don't mistake me for something I'm not. Mm-hmm. Make your on choices and remember that you're the one in control. Yeah. Don't hand your power over to me. Yes. <laughs> this is your choices. I'm just giving you options for you to consider. You choose whether you want to do them. Yeah. And um, these are the risks and this is why there's no guarantee of results. Those are really important things to cover off on.
0: Yeah. Good. I'm glad we went over that. That's good. And I love how you say it is a collaborative relationship too, because it is so true and it's really important to work with people um, for the best interest of both of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Well, this has been brilliant and so, so informative. Where can the listeners find you and take advantage of your incredible offerings, your DIY packs, learn more from you. Where can we go?
1: Uh, michellewhitehead.com.au is my website beautiful and do you have any socials that we can follow along on absolutely there's instagram and there's a face my facebook page which are both um michellewhiteheadau yep um yeah they're not very active at the moment because i've been so busy Being the one woman law firm, that my social media is completely neglected at the moment, but it's going to come back. I've got an Asana board full of marketing posts. (laughs) Yes. need to get them out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, amazing.
0: Well, I'll link to all of those in the show notes and the socials that I do share. And yeah, thank you so much for being here and sharing your incredible knowledge with us all. I know I've learned so much. And yeah, it's all such valuable knowledge for us to know and be equipped with. And
1: yeah. And not be afraid You're of. Very <laughs> There's also, um, I've also got a YouTube channel which has got a pile of webinars that I've done in the past. Fantastic. A lot of the things we've talked about today, but in more detail. So.
0: Yeah, we'll all be checking those out.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed it greatly. Me too.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it, and I hope you agree. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me, and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality.